Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount. My name is Adam and I'm the lead pastor here. And if it is your first time joining us, I just wanna extend a special welcome and say whether you are here at our Stafford campus, down in Fredericksburg, joining us online, wherever you happen to be, we are so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. It is actually a really, really exciting time in our life of our church right now. Next week is kind of kickoff Sunday for us where kind of everyone's probably back from vacation, school's about to start, and so all the kids are kind of moving up to their next grades and it's gonna be exciting and fun and big. And next week here at our Stafford campus, we are excited that we are going to three services as we continue to make room for more people. And so we just wanna say, we're so glad you're here. If you are joining us for the first time today, or maybe the first time in a while because you've been traveling this summer, we are in the last week of a series titled Legendary. And what we've been doing over the last couple months, these summer months, is we've been looking at these kind of key legendary people, characters, figures in scripture, and how they did some really, really incredible legendary things for God. And what's fascinating is over the last seven weeks, every single one of these characters we look at, what we realize is they were not legendary in and of themselves. In fact, they were quite the opposite. What we see is story after story where these people are doubting or they're hesitant or they're fearful or afraid or at some point God calls them to do something and they they mess up and make a mistake. But what the, the legendary thing that kind of is the undertone for every single one of their stories is that they really got serious about leaning in and totally and completely depending on God. And because of that dependence on him, they were able to do some incredible, incredible things for the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we're gonna look at a story about a guy by the name of Gideon. And Gideon's story is interesting because Gideon's story parallels part of Moses' story when Moses was sort of called by God and the burning bush, if you remember that story. And so the the story of Gideon is actually found in Judges chapter 6 through chapter 8. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, feel free. If you have the Mount app, you can follow along right there with all of the references and and the notes and everything. Or you can also just watch the screens around the room, whatever campus you happen to be at. But Judges, to set the the context in case you're kind of unfamiliar with the, the grand narrative of Scripture, the book of Judges is a fascinating and interesting book. It's about a third of the way through the Old Testament, and the book of Judges occurs after, just so we're on the same timeline, it occurs after uh, God's people have been rescued from Egypt, right? Like think Charlton Heston parting the waters, and everyone comes free, and it's Moses in that moment. It's also after Joshua has led the people into what's called the promised land, the land that God said, this will be for my people, and they kind of go in, and they conquer, and they settle, and they find their home there. And so the book of Judges, we pick up, and the book of Judges is fascinating because what we see is over and over and over again, this this cyclical pattern that repeats over and over and over again, where the nation of Israel has this moment in time where they sin. That sin is usually some sort of disobedience. Maybe they do something that God had commanded them not to do. Maybe they uh, decide that they're gonna kind of worship these other gods from the other neighboring nations or something. And there, there's some sort of sin and that causes them to have these, this discipline that God gives them. 
And that discipline sometimes can be uh, God cutting off his blessing, right? Like in scripture, we see that God is always with his people. He never forsakes them. But there are moments in scripture where he withdraws a blessing maybe to have them go through a difficult valley moment. Maybe that discipline that they encounter in the book of Judges is a neighboring army, a neighboring nation uh, coming in and invading and kind of taking over and doing something. But what you see is there's always this moment of sin, then this moment of discipline, and then the nation of Israel cries out in repentance. They always cry out and saying, oh, we are so horrible. We are so bad. God, can you help us? We, we are sorry for what we've done. We'll turn back. We'll repent and turn back to you. And then God delivers them through a, a person, which is called a judge. A judge is not like a king. It's a leader who steps up that God calls and empowers and equips to take the nation of Israel kind of out of this season of discipline into this season of blessing and prominence among their people. And then there's a relative peace. Now, anytime one of the judges steps up, that peace can last from a couple days to a couple weeks to even situations like the one we're about to encounter after the Judge Deborah, the peace lasts for about 40 years. But it never fails. Israel falls right back into the same pattern. And what's so fascinating to me about the book of Judges is it really does mirror our lives at times. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I when, when things are, are going well, when, when, when the season is peaceful and it's a, a mountaintop experience, if you would say, those seem to be the moments where I end up depending on God the less, the least. And eventually I cry out to him because I've made some mistake or I have wandered or done something wrong and I cry out and say, God, man, I'm so sorry. I repent and I turn back to you. And it's this pattern, this cyclical cycle. And so we're going to pick up the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, where the previous judge, Deborah, has kind of died and passed away. And there's been a period of about 40 years of peace. And so in chapter 6, verse 1, we begin. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples would invade the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And so what we see when we pick up the story of Judges chapter 6 here, the beginning of Genesis, what we see is that Israel has come out of a period of relative peace. They, they, were, they were prospering. Things were going well. It was this mountaintop experience with the judge by the name of Deborah. And then Deborah dies, and all of a sudden it says Israel does evil in their eyes of the Lord. And they begin kind of doing whatever it is that makes them feel good and makes them happy. And so as a result, there is a disciplined moment where God sends in the Midianites, one of the invading nations, to come in and sort of attack them, to conquer them, to take over them as punishment. Now, what's interesting we see is Israel has gone from this kind of powerhouse in the region, these people who had relative peace, who had conquered the entire land of Canaan, the people that everyone was afraid of, to now it tells us that they are forced to live in hiding. They're no longer settling down in their towns and their villages in the plains areas where they should be. Instead, they're hiding in caves and they're hiding in mountain clefts and they're doing everything they can to shelter in place and protect themselves. Why? Because the Midianite army comes year 
after year for seven years. You see, the Midianites were brilliant military tacticians. Instead of just invading and staying and occupying the territory, they knew that they could get the Israelites to do so much for them if they played it right. So what they would do is they would hang out in their territory and their area. They would let the Israelites plant their crops, grow their livestock, whatever they needed to do, because they knew that the Israelites would do something because they needed substance. They needed food to survive. And then right when it was about to be harvest time, the Midianites would gather up all of their tents, all of their men, all of their women, all of their children, all of their camels, all of their supplies, all of their soldiers, and they would ride in like a swarm of locusts into Israel and just find the closest field they can, and they would plant there and stop there, build their tents and eat all the food and ravage the land and then go to the next place and the next place and the next place. And at any point in time, if Israel decided they were going to step up to them and maybe come out in arms as soldiers, they would basically just kill them. And so you see them moving from location to location, just ravaging the land, taking all of the food, all of the livestock, all of the crops, everything they can get their hands on, consuming it and then leaving to come back the next year. And so Israel is hiding. They're afraid, they're terrified. And so what happens is after about seven years of this, we're told that the Israelites cry out to God for help. They're like, we, we've had enough. We, we repent. God, please, have you forgotten us? Come and, come and help us. We're crying out to you for deliverance and salvation. We repent and we will turn back. And so God hears their cry. And we're told in scripture in, in Judges chapter six that God sends a prophet. And this prophet is a fascinating prophet. It's only for a couple verses. We, there, there is no name for this prophet. There's no details, but this prophet shows up and tells the Israelites to remember that there is a God who brought them out of Egypt, a God who cares for them and loves them, and he has not forsaken them. But the reason they are in the situation they are in is because of their disobedience. And then the prophet disappears. And then the very next verse is it says immediately, an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And it tells us that he finds Gideon, the hero of our story, the future hero of our story, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, uh, for our modern context, we could blow right over that and not understand what it means. But what would happen is when they came to how they would gather the wheat and the crops to be able to have the grain they needed to eat, the Israelites would build on uh, the highest hills they could find in their area, these things called threshing floors. And these things were up elevated where the wind could catch them and they were made out of stone and it would be the, the people would gather in the middle with all the, the wheat and the grain and everything and they would take it and they would throw it up in the air and the, the grain, the good stuff, the stuff you wanted to eat would fall down on the bricks by your feet while the chafe, the stuff you don't want, would kind of just float away in the wind off down the hill to somewhere else. And so this is how they separated the stuff that was edible from the stuff they didn't want. This normally took place up on a hill where, where the wind could blow and everyone could see it and the neighbors would come and they would gather and they would help. But we're told that Gideon is threshing his wheat in a wine press. A wine press was a hole dug in the ground anywhere from 10 to 20 feet down and it had these stairs that would go down where they would step on the grapes to make the wine, to press it. And it was made to where there was no wind and you couldn't see it. If you looked across the horizon, it just looked like the horizon. You couldn't see down in there. And so we pick up in our story where Gideon, the hero of our story, is hiding in a wine press, doing everything he can to scrounge up food, but he's afraid of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you. 
you are a mighty warrior. (laughs) And he says, not only are you a mighty warrior, but I have a big plan and mission and task for you. Now, let's pause here for a minute. Because throughout this series, over the last six and seven weeks, one of the things we've been doing is there's this common theme that we see in every one of these stories, these legendary characters. And it's this question that we've been wrestling with off and on. And the question is this, is how are we, like all of us at all of our campuses, how are we to respond when God calls us to serve others? And I know by saying that phrase, when God calls us to serve others, I may immediately lost some of you because you're thinking, man, the idea of God calling, that's like real churchy and religious. I don't know how I feel about that. That just is too much for me. Maybe what I'm, maybe what I'm trying to say, like if I was kind of unpack that phrase, God calling us to serve others, is you ever had those moments, and I think most of us have had them at some point in our life, where we've, we've heard about a need that was out there an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to volunteer, an opportunity to step up. And it's almost like we keep getting poked. It's almost like something is pushing us or pulling us. And as much as we wanna ignore it, right? As much as we wanna shake it off and be like, oh, it's probably because I ate a five guys yesterday and I'm just having stomach problems. I'm just gonna annoy it. Like we wanna shake it off. It seems like every conversation keeps coming back to that same thing over and over and we begin to say, maybe there's a, a coincidence here. Maybe something's happening where this, this thing just keeps happening and it keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again. I would argue that that thing is the spirit of God poking you. It's the spirit of God pushing you. It's the spirit of God pulling you. It's the spirit of God calling you. Why would I say that? Because I think, and we've seen this in almost every single person that we have looked at this summer, and we see it here again in the life of Gideon, there is this foundational truth found all throughout Scripture, that God uses people to meet the needs of others. God uses people to meet the needs of others. Just listen to verse 6. So Midian is, so this is back before Gideon's called. Midian is so impoverished that the Israelites, that they cried out to the, the Midian is so impoverished the Israelites that they cry out to the Lord for help. So what we see is the, the Israelites are in this predicament, right? Like we just talked about this, where the Midianites are attacking them, they're invading them, and it's year after year after year, this cycle, and they're like, we're so tired of this. So they have this absolute physical and real need. They're stuck in this predicament. They need help, and so it says they cry out to the Lord for help. There is a very tangible and real need that the people of God have in this moment. What's God's response? God very easily, right, because God is sovereign, he can do anything he wants, he parts oceans, he, he does miracles, he makes you know, five fish turn into all this stuff, he does all these things. God could have easily said, man, my people are crying out, my people in need, I'm gonna snap my fingers and all the Midianites will die. He could have done that, right? He's, he's supernatural, God can do whatever he wants. God could have uh, done something to cause the Midianites to be routed by another invading army that was peaceful to the Israelites. God could have done anything and everything within his power and his ability to change the circumstance and to meet the need of his people in this moment. But what does God do? What's his answer? He sends a prophet and he sends Gideon. He sends a person. All throughout scripture, over and over 
and over again. God sees a need in his people and his operating, his standard operating procedure is to call and equip somebody to fix it. When there is a need, he sends a person. All throughout scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, God uses people to meet the needs of others. And some of you this morning, there is a very real need that God has not only called you or poked you or pushed you or pulled you to fix, he has equipped you with your background and your story and your life circumstances to fix. You are the person that God needs to use to fix the need in our world. But so many times I think we are like Gideon. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrath that belonged to Joash the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So the, the angel, well, watch the interaction here. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, what did he say? He said, the Lord is with you, what? Mighty warrior. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestor told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15, again, like Moses, he says, but pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. God shows up to Gideon and says, Gideon, I'm calling you to something. I have, a, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose. I have a mission. I have a task. I have something that I would love for you to do that will make a difference in the lives of my people. But Gideon didn't feel like he had the resources to make a difference. Right, like Gideon says, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. And I don't know how often you catch up on your ancient 12 tribes of Israel, but the tribe of Manasseh was the smallest of all 12 tribes. It was the smallest. So if you've got you know, the big tribes all the way down to Judah, the smallest tribe is Manasseh. It is not the tribe that a mighty warrior, a future leader, a deliverer, a redeemer, a savior of God's people would ever be expected to come from. Not only that, not only is Gideon in the smallest of the 12 tribes, Gideon says, my clan, right? Like the, the sub-level down, my clan is the weakest in all of the tribe. So he says, listen, listen, like you want me to go and save God's people to deliver them, to do this thing that meets this actual need? I'm not only in the smallest tribe, but my clan is the weakest. We're not warriors, we're not, I'm literally hiding in a pit because I'm afraid of people. And he says, not only that, but even in my own family, I'm the least. That word least in the Hebrew means I'm the one that's overlooked. The one that no one thinks of. The one that no one cares about. And so Gideon says, God, mighty warrior? And I have to imagine in this moment, and maybe this is just my humor when I read scripture, but I have to imagine that moment when the angel of the Lord appears to him face to face and Gideon's in the bottom of this pit, hiding from the Midianites, throwing up food just to gather. And the angel comes and says, you are a mighty warrior. You will go and save people. You're gonna be big and powerful and great and do this. I have to imagine that he kind of lets out a snicker and he looks around being like, is somebody else in the pit that I don't know about? Because I'm the weakest in my family. 
and I'm the weakest clan and the smallest tribe. Gideon saw himself as being inadequate for the job that he was being called to do. And I think at times we are just like Gideon. We believe we don't have much to offer. We believe we don't have much to offer. We hear a need. Someone asks us to step up. And we say, man, I hear what you're saying. But man, I just don't have anything. To, like my past, like you don't even know. Like just last Saturday, I was yelling at my wife. Just the other day, I was telling my kids, like, oh, it's just, I'm just a mess. You don't, like, you, I got nothing to offer that. What can I do? I can't even raise my own teenagers. How can I help lead a junior high group? I just, I can't. I, there's not something I can do. Or we say, you want me to, to lead a small group? Like, I, I'm not even sure how to find Genesis in the Bible. Like, there's no way. I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted. There's, there's absolutely no way. I, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not qualified for that. That just seems too big. That seems too scary. You want me to direct the parking lot? I got in three wrecks last year. That's not going to happen. There's just no way. I am not the person that you want for this job. It is not possible. I don't have that much to offer. It's, it's interesting, the story of Gideon, I love it so much, and we're not going to have time to read it. I encourage you to go read chapter 7 and chapter 8 on your own. But it's interesting because in the beginning, Gideon is so like hesitant and afraid, and he's like, I don't, I don't have the strength. I don't have the courage. I'm not the person you want to do this, God. You've got the wrong person. It should be somebody else. And then through this back and forth, this, this testing that I don't recommend where he's testing God, looking for signs, ultimately Gideon sort of surrenders and says, fine, God, I'll do what you're asking me to do. I'll take my 32,000 soldiers and we will go attack the Midianites and we will win because you are with us. And God says, Gideon, I got bad news for you. 32,000 is not how many soldiers you have. You have 300 <laughs> And I read this and I'm like, why? Like, you already made your point, God. You called the guy who's hiding in a pit, who's threshing wheat the wrong way. You already, from the smallest clan with the weakest, you already called this guy. Why do you have to stack the odds so high against him in this moment? It's almost as if God wants Gideon and all of the Israelites and you, I, you and I to know that limited resources aren't a roadblock for a God who can do anything. And... I want to hear it again, because some of you, you don't believe this, and I need you to believe this this morning, whatever campus you happen to be at. Your inability to think you have the resources you need, whatever, I'm not smart enough, I'm not gifted enough, my, my past is too messed up, I, I haven't been a believer long, whatever, whatever your excuse is, whatever your reason for your limited resources, let me just tell you, let me remind you that your limited resources are a way that God proves that he is a God who can do anything and his strength works in your weakness. He is powerful and he is good. And why do I know this? Because, and I, I love this about God, while Gideon saw what was, God saw what could be. Listen, this is verses 12 and 14 of chapter 6. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, you've heard these, I just want you to hear them again. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, what did he say? He said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand, am I not sending you? 
In other words, God says, don't miss this. He looks at Gideon, who's hiding in a pit, who's avoiding the calling, who doesn't want to serve other people. And he says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior because of the strength that you have in you. He says, you have more in you than you could imagine, Gideon. You are, you are powerful beyond anything you could ever imagine. You are the least in your family from the weakest clan, the smallest tribe, and you are hiding in a wine press because you are scared of them. And Gideon looks at himself and all he sees is roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. He sees his present reality where he is hiding and confused and fearful and afraid. And God says, yes, but you have potential to make a difference. I don't see where you are. I see where you will be and where you could be. And the place you could be is making a difference in the life of others. Gideon, you have potential. And can I just say, for every single one of you this morning, when God looks at you, he sees what could be, not what is. He sees your potential, your future. He doesn't see all of your mistakes, all of your failures, and all of your weakness. You're a mighty warrior and you have strength in you. Every single one of you have so much potential that I wish I could get you to understand. I, I, I even feel like this morning that even just the words I use are not enough to convey what's on my heart in this moment. You have so much in you. You have been blessed with incredible gifts and passions and abilities and resources to make a tremendous kingdom difference for more and more people in the world around you. You have so much potential living inside of you. And, and I get it, maybe, maybe you feel the way that Gideon felt. You would say like someone told you about a need or you heard an announcement or you, you read something or you saw something and you, you've hesitated to step up because you don't feel like the mighty warrior that God has given you to be and you think you are not good enough to get the job done. Listen, Gideon didn't feel like the right person either, but God equipped him and called him. And, so, and the same is true with you. Your feelings may tell you that you are small, that you are insignificant, that you are ordinary, that you don't know enough, you're not smart enough, you haven't been deep enough, you're not this X, Y, Z, whatever it happens to be, your feelings will tell you all of those things and you are just hiding back, watching from the sidelines, but God says you are a mighty warrior. He says, get in the fight. He says, the same God is choosing you to meet the need that you are hearing in the world. Don't let your feelings keep you from engaging and acting on the difference that God wants you to be. We don't live by our feelings. We live by faith. We don't live by where we are now. We live by where God sees us later. We are not stuck here. We move forward. And for some of you, man, you are already serving and let me just say, I, I really believe this, that there are gonna be moments when you are serving the local church here at our Mount campuses and you are doing something, whether that is maybe you're serving in a small group in the junior high ministry, and I just wanna say, God bless you. Like, junior high, like, that's just tough. Like, I used to be a youth pastor, and we would tell junior high volunteers, like, there's two things that you need for junior high ministry, Red Bull and deodorant, and that will survive for the next two or three years. Like, you're good. One's for you. One's for them. You pick which one. Um, 
But no, let me just say, there are gonna be moments where you are, you are volunteering, whether it is in leading a small group of students, whether it is changing diapers in the nursery, whether it is standing out in 100,000 degrees temperature directing cars, whether you are greeting families who are new to our church, there are gonna be moments where you, even if you've been serving for a while, where you sit down and you're opening something up or you're engaging in a conversation, you say, man, I'm not good enough to be here. There's more in you than you think. You have more potential than you know. How do I know this? Because you are just like Gideon. God said, you are a mighty warrior and I am with you. And let me just say, it doesn't matter what area you are serving in, when you serve, you have the spirit of God with you and you are pouring that out on others. And because of his power and his spirit, you are enough. And you can make a difference. So, let me just ask the question, where is God calling you to serve? Right, this is that moment where like, you feel the poke, or the pull, or the push, whatever word, and historically, you look down at your phone right now being like, I wonder what lunch is gonna be today. <laughs> Where's God calling you to serve? Over the last couple of weeks, we've been sharing stories of people, and I recognize that many of you serve outside of the walls at the Mount, whether whatever your local community, your neighborhood is, you're, you're helping homeless people, you're helping foster kids, you're, you're doing packing meals, you're doing all kinds of tremendous and valuable things, but I do wanna take a moment and just stop and say, there is a place in scripture where people, God's people serve the local church. And it's not because we need you. It's because we want you to experience what comes from serving. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been sharing some of these stories of people who have laid down their time, have been inconvenienced to serve and make a difference for here at the Mount in various ways. And as we've shared those stories, many of you, you've stepped up, right? Like you've, you've signed a card, you've gone online, you've texted in, you've scanned the QR code, whatever the response way was, and you've stepped up. And I just wanna take a moment, I don't wanna breeze past that like it was nothing. I just wanna acknowledge that if you have responded to serve at one of our local campuses here at the Mount, we are so thankful for your sacrifice and what God is doing in and through you. And I am praying with everything in me that as much as you signed up because you wanted to make a difference in someone else's life, which I guarantee you, you will, I am also praying that by you serving, God is gonna do something in you that you never even thought possible and your faith is gonna be deeper and deeper than you ever could imagine. That's my prayer. But I also recognize that there are many of you and you're just waiting. And over the last couple of weeks, you've heard us talk about this. And maybe you've thought, yeah, but man, Adam, like, my resources are just too limited. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't, I don't know enough. I haven't been around enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have, like, the, the, I sweat too much. Whatever the reason, right? Like, there's all kinds of reasons you could be giving. Like, I don't like cold. I'll serve just six months. Whatever the reason could be. There's all kinds of reasons you could say. And let me just say, let me just say, you have more in you than you realize. You have more potential than you know. I believe that God has created you. He has gifted you with specific passions and skills. 
And there is a very real and tangible need here at all of our Mount campuses that maybe, just maybe, you are the man or woman that God wants to use to meet that need, much like Gideon was for the Israelites. Take a look at this video from Franco at our El Monte campus as he talks about how serving has changed his life. My name is Franco Mencia and I serve in El Monte in the worship team as vocalist and as a piano player. My favorite part of serving is being used as another instrument in God's worship and uh, along with my very close friends serving God. I think that is just amazing. We're better together on Sundays when someone comes in that for the first time to a church and all the pieces are where it needs to be, then we're doing our part as a family. And I think that's the main purpose of us here on earth. I love, I love that he says serving others is our main purpose here on earth. Like, let me just say, you, maybe you're new to Northern Virginia or maybe you've been here a while. You're not here by accident. This is the very community that God wants you to live in so you can make a difference for his kingdom. You might think you came here for your job, but your job was just one of the things that God uses to provide so that you can serve his kingdom. It is not the end, it is the means to the end. Because fulfillment and satisfaction is found Jesus says, and laying down your life for others. When you got here on your seat this morning, there was a card. I just want you to fill the card out. Where's God calling you to serve? What's he, what's he laid on your heart? Like what's the thing that every time we talk about it, every time you hear a story about it, you're like, man, I would love to do that. But then you have all your hesitations. We would love for you to begin the process of faithfully, serving God and making a difference. In fact, this afternoon, maybe you're, maybe you're hesitant, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I've never had like this like burning bush moment. I've never been like driving down I-95 and like an angel of the Lord appeared in the seat next to me. I've never had that. And so like, I don't know where God's calling me to serve. That's fantastic. We are so glad you're here. Guess what? Today at four o'clock, we're having our volunteer kickoff and we're gonna gather. We're gonna sing some songs, play a game, do some different stuff. And then we're gonna break out into our different ministry teams at all of our campuses where we can learn and get equipped to do the ministry that you're doing. And there's gonna be one specific breakout for people who want to serve but don't know where. And they're gonna talk about all the opportunities. And I would almost guarantee you that if you came and you went to that meeting, as you're sitting there hearing about all these opportunities, God is going to stir something in your heart. You're going to feel a poke. It will happen because God uses his people to meet the needs of others. Where's God calling you to serve? Maybe you're here and let's just kind of break this down, right? Maybe you're here and you're saying, man, my faith lately I don't know if I should serve, I've just been stagnant. Like if I'm being honest, my prayer life's not that good. You know, I just, I don't know, God's just, we're just going through the motions. Like just, uh, in all my years of ministry, here's what's interesting to me. There are two spiritual disciplines that I've seen that always seem to shake things up. 
You would think it's like Bible reading or prayer, like, man, if you just read the Bible more, your faith will come alive. And that happens sometimes, but not very often. Over and over again, the two spiritual disciplines I see that when people are stagnant and when they, when they just don't know what to do next in their faith, when they begin serving or when they begin giving, God does something in and through them that they never thought possible. Why? Because when you start serving and people start asking you questions, you all of a sudden have to do the other disciplines. It forces you to grow and learn and mature. Maybe, maybe for you this year, the next step for you in your journey with Jesus is to serve so that you can pursue him more. Maybe you're here today and you're like, ah, I picked the wrong week to visit this church for the first time. Right, like it's your first time, you've never come here, you're not sure about Jesus, this church thing, like you were just told that there was coffee or whatever it was. Let me just say, we are so glad you are here. We exist as a church for you. But I also know this, just because you're not sure about this church thing and you might not even have a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean there's not a place for you. You, you can greet in the parking lot without knowing Jesus. You can serve and make a difference in others' lives, even if you disagree with what we believe. And here's my prayer through that, that when you start serving alongside other people and you link arms together, that the like Jesus smell that is all over them <laughs> invades your life and becomes all over you. And you look up one day and your life is totally different and you have surrendered your life to Jesus because you began serving other people. Where is God calling you to serve? Let's fill out those cards today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are thankful that you in scripture show us what it means to be human. You give us stories of people like Gideon who are so hesitant or afraid or doubtful of their own giftings and experiences and their, their own story, God, and you take it and in the way you do, you redeem it and use it for your good. God, I pray for all of us that we would be a community of people marked by service. That when anyone who hears of the Mount in whatever campus they are near, the first thing they come to mind, that comes to their mind is those people love to serve others. Jesus, we love you. Amen.